1: Hello, fellow COVID-stuck-at-homers and armchair quarterbacks, and thank you for downloading the 50th edition, I said 50th edition of Scoring at the Movies. We review sports movies from many years ago when we spoil them thoroughly. I'm the hater of incompetent clowns who abuse their adorable dogs, Ryan Ellis. And here's the fellow who must be conned into taking a bath by having his wife throw a beer in the tub, number canine, Lord Christy Gregorio.
0: Well done, sir. And eerily accurate. I'm glad you don't consider us incompetent clowns. I like to think of us as competent clowns, at least when...
1: I'm the incompetent clown. You're very competent. Well, But you must be conned into that tub.
0: Oh, at all times. If not with a beer, then at least with a pudding cup. Or maybe like an open can of SpaghettiOs. That might do the trick, too. Never heat it up. Only lukewarm, mind you.
1: (laughs) What is the beer that you're drinking? Through Zoom, incidentally. We're doing this, of course, through Zoom again. I'm sure we'll be doing this like this for quite a while yet.
0: Like you said, this is our 50th. So we're getting very old. I figured I would go a little bit fancier today, and you know me, I'm a big fan of pretentious beer in the same way that I'm a fan of being pretentious about movies. This is a cork top. This is a 750 mil cork top, rodenbach anniversary edition beer, all the fancy sour beers from Europe, and all that kind of fun stuff. So, Very nice. Going to take it up a notch today. I might be a little bit tanked by the end of the episode, mind you, because I think this is like <laughs> 7.5%, and like I said, it's a 750ml bottle, so.
1: Air Bud made me cry. Just, <laughs> you're my best
0: friend. The best movie we've done? Air Bud. Hands down. <laughs> number 1, 2, and 3. In our hearts and I'm in the movie theaters. Actually, speaking of number 1, 2, and 3, there's like 8 sequels to this movie.
1: Well, there are more than that, I think it is. And spinoffs. Oh we'll even include the spin offs. Well, we'll get to that in a second, but first I want to mention that at the end of this episode, after we talk about Airbud, today's movie, because this is our 50th episode, we decide to look back at our nearly two years of podcasting. Can you believe that, Chris? Two years? To talk about our five favorites, and also to hack on the five we think belong in the toilet or the tub. Now, the tub's kind of nice, so the toilet. Yeah. We'll get into that though after we talk about Airbud for a little
0: while. Because we plan to do a little bit of something extra at the end of it, and I assume this episode is going to be at least two hours long because I am hell-bent and determined to give Airbud its due and fully analyze every aspect of that deeply layered drama. Oh, man, that beer. Woo, strong stuff. So anyway, yeah, I expect this to be a marathon, not a sprint, Ryan. Well,
1: then you're going to be talking by yourself, because I have very little to say. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I probably took more careful notes for this movie than any other, because I was in the process of trying to organize my thoughts for our top five and Razzie five, bottom five, whatever, the toilet bowl awards. <laughs> it was one of those rare occasions when I was actually in an organized and note-taking mindset when watching these movies, which is rare for me. I'm almost never organized, and I never take notes for anything.
1: You brought notes the first time we ever recorded, and I don't remember ever having seen them since.
0: No, I free ball my way through life, including this, as you've no doubt noticed.
1: I have noticed. <laughs> so <laughs> Okay, well, Buddy Superstar, as it was called in Argentina, was released by Disney... On August 1st, 1997. It only cost about $3 million and made $23 million, so it was a pretty good success. I had never seen it before. This is, I think, the fifth movie we've covered now out of the 50 I'd never seen, and I don't know if any of them have been very good. <laughs> well, Creed two was fine. Creed 2 I'd never seen. That was fine. It was at least okay. But I missed this one the first time, and I missed all the sequels, like you said before. There are a lot of them. And spin-offs, too.
0: What was the football one? It actually had like a pretty clever play on Golden Retriever, I think, for that time.
1: Golden Receiver. That was the first sequel.
0: I give them credit for that title. That made me giggle a little bit. I
1: think he plays a different sport every time. Basketball, then football, and I forget the order, but soccer is one of them. I think maybe baseball and track or something like that. He's
0: like the Bo Jackson of his species. (sighs) He's better. excel at every sport and do so within the lifespan of a golden retriever, too, apparently. How old would you be? Let's say the fifth sequel came out six, seven, eight years after the first. Give them time for production and just cranking these things out. It was
1: one year. The
0: fifth sequel?
1: Oh, sorry. I heard the first.
0: Oh, no, no. But by the time we get to sequel number five, I'm saying, and this dog is age six, seven, eight years at seven dog years per human year, we're talking a dog that's in his 60s or 70s and we're still meant to believe he's an all-star athlete. Come on, Ryan. <laughs> I'm willing to buy the first four sports that he becomes a Pro Bowl worthy. <laughs> but not five. Not five. You're just getting greedy at that point.
1: He's on PEDs to last that long. <laughs> well, I like to nutshell this movie right off the bat because I've got three of them. In a nutshell, it's E.T. with a ball. All right. The dog is like E.T., he fixes the lonely kid who's lost his dad, although the dad's not dead in E.T., but he might as well be. And at the end, everything's great, and everybody loves him. At the end of E.T., of course, E.T. leaves, but anyway, that's the first nutshell. The second one, get back on D! <laughs> Did you see that clip of the kid who's, I think, mentally disabled or whatever you call it? Something's wrong with him. He's a little kid. He's undersized. And both teams let him score, and then he just runs over to the coach, and he's happy about all that. My first thought was, get back on D! <laughs> In this movie? No, no, that's something that's just on. Well, you're not on Twitter, maybe that's why you didn't see that. Oh, but anyway, i just picture that with the dog. He never plays defense; he only plays offense.
0: He's like the Kobe Bryant or the Allen Iverson, and maybe is a better example of this basketball team. He gets on the court in that final game, and the opposing coach is like, "He has had three assists in two minutes." There goes the AI comparisons because AI didn't have an assist his entire career. But other than that, this dog is like a ball-moving offensive powerhouse. He doesn't have time for defense.
1: <laughs> the full paw press. Yeah, the full paw press. full court paw. <laughs> My third nutshell, now, of course, anyone who's listened to this podcast or the one I do with Bev for a long time knows about Fox, our beloved dog who died a couple of years ago. So, in his honor, Ba 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 ba
0: That's very inside basketball, but uh, I appreciate it. <laughs> and since you mentioned your beloved late dog, Fox, there was a scene early in this movie that, for some reason, just brought him to mind for me. The movie opens with, as most good comedies do, a little bit of light at least implied animal cruelty when the clown is threatening the dog, with the newspaper, which is like a weirdly dark note for a kid's movie, but it recurs through the movie. I'm going to beat you with a newspaper motif. But during that kid's party, it all goes to hell The dog doesn't pull off the miracle shot, which I think is more the fault of the clown than the dog. The dog hit the ball back just fine, and the clown guy stood there like a dope and didn't move his arms three inches to the left.
1: He doesn't commit to this job. He doesn't like doing it anymore.
0: But he just blames the dog for his own failures. But meanwhile, he starts chasing the dog, and this golden retriever who's dressed up in a cute little costume starts running around the room. And the kids all react like it's a terrifying wild animal on the loose. The only scene I could imagine being more absurd than a group of like 10- to 12-year-old children being terrified of a fluffy golden retriever who's happily running around is maybe if Fox, your puffy Pomeranian, was running around in a clown's costume and everyone was screaming. That is the only thing more ridiculous to me than that scene in the movie.
1: (laughs) Earlier this week, Bev and I released To Die For, and the Pomeranian in that movie is very similar to the Fox that Bev and I used to have. Her little guy, my little guy as well, for many years. That little loser dog (laughs) that we love so much, but not intimidating to anyone. And Chris's best friend, and vice versa.
0: Yeah, he was the toughest dog on the block.
1: Whenever you walked in this house, you were terrified. Oh, every time. Okay, I will cover a little bit of Rotten Tomatoes numbers here. 45% of critics like this movie. That's it. And it was an average of 4.8 out of 10, not quite 5, which is not a fresh tomato anyway. And 38% of audiences, even though this is an audience movie, and it, relatively speaking, succeeded. There were many video sequels, like we said. Golden Receiver, though, in 1998, the very next year, got
0: 21%. The Airbud franchise was not met with critical <laughs> acclaim, is what you're saying?
1: I don't think any of the straight-to-video sequels were very successful either. And it was 85th at the 1997 U.S. box office. Titanic, which Bev and I covered, was number one. Ellie Confidential, which she and I also covered, was number 24. And The Sixth Man, which you and I, I guess, could cover if we really get desperate, was 100th that year. So Airbud did make more money than The Sixth Man, which I believe is a Wayans Brothers joint.
0: Oh, you'll know we're desperate when we start covering Wayne's brother joints, man.
1: Aren't we desperate covering Airbud? <laughs>
0: yeah, kind of. But we did this with a particular purpose in mind. To
1: keep it short so we could spend time on the top 50 or top five, I should That's say. That's our the excuse.
0: 50. There's some other movies that we've done that we'll no doubt talk about in the toilet bowl section of our little post game here that we have no valid excuse for actually wasting our time with. But I feel like this one, we should get a little bit of a pass because we did it knowing what we're getting into.
1: What would you think of it? Because for me, I thought it was going to be really bad. Another nutshell. I've got four then. Hijinks. The movie is what you could have called this thing. Because it's hijinks after hijinks. That's the comedy. And it's not funny. Again, a movie that's yeah. not funny that's supposed to be. But the actual serious stuff with the kid, Kevin Zegers plays Josh, sending Buddy away because he knows it's what's best for him. I didn't cry at that moment, but it was pretty touching stuff. I like the relationship between him and his mom. Wendy McKenna plays her. thought she was pretty fine as Jackie. But I guess I'm not a kid, so I didn't really care that much. I actually looked at the Siskel and Ebert review of this movie. Siskel was on the fence about it but didn't hate it. And Ebert flat out liked it. What about you?
0: There's some stuff in this movie that worked more than I would have expected it to. And was a little bit more touching than I would have expected. But this is one of those instances where two grown men talking about a movie that is intended for children is going to be problematic because none of the stuff that I assume was intended to be funny struck me as the least bit funny. And that slapsticky, whoop, 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 kind of scene at the beginning with the kid's party where the clown gets pissed off with his dog because he didn't make the miracle shot or whatever, he literally slipped on a banana peel. I don't care if this movie's made in 1997. That's a gag that I thought went out with the Three Stooges, right? I don't think it helps that the guy that they use most often for comedic value, which is this clown dude.
1: Michael Jeter, yeah norm snively
0: no man more perfectly resembles a child molester than this actor it's not a fair thing to say of this actor because i'm sure the guy's a perfectly nice man but when you put him he's dead now is he well now i feel like an ass (laughs) (laughs) he died years ago i believe didn't he play exactly that type of character in the green mile Well, he had no dog hijinks
1: going on, but yeah, he was a bit of an antagonistic kind of character. He died in 2003, so a long time ago.
0: No, but a predator type of character.
1: Oh, why he was in jail and on death row. Okay, yes. Then I guess so. I forget exactly why he was there, but yes, he was on death row, so he did something bad.
0: Put out like a little bit of a menacing vibe to me, let's say, in this movie. So when he was supposed to be the victim of hijinks and you were supposed to giggle at his expense, I thought it was badly done and just didn't work for me. But there were moments that I did appreciate, and like you said, there's that moment where the snively guy gets the dog back, which, incidentally, I thought was hilarious, because he casts the dog out. This dog, who is amazingly well-trained, it turns out, but because he screwed up one shot during this trick at the kid's party, he says, oh, I'm done with you, I'm going to take you to the pound, and of course the crate just falls into the middle of a highway or something, and we never really see how the dog gets out of the crate, do we?
1: The crate falls out of the truck, and then, ironically enough, Jackie driving Josh and the baby, who's never at the basketball games, by the way. I don't know where that baby is when Josh is playing (laughs) basketball and his mother's watching.
0: Locked up in a closet at home, maybe.
1: Right. They're driving along, and she almost hits the dog, because always in movies, people are never paying attention to what's on the road. No. But anyway, yeah, she barely misses hitting the dog in the crate, and then she drives off, and they don't meet the dog at that moment. Right. But he gets out. I forget how he got out, too. I guess I was taking a note, or sleeping or something i don't
0: think they actually show it i think they just show the crate on the road and then the next time we see the dog is when josh finds the church basketball court and starts throwing up huge bricks until the ball like <laughs> bounces into the hedgerow much like your ball bouncing into your back neighbor's lot and then he had to like crawl into the bushes to try to find it. he saw the rustling of the leaves and that's when we find out oh the dog didn't just get schmucked by a tractor trailer on the highway
1: That would have been a very short and depressing movie had that happened. It really would have been. But he can pick a lock. That's what it is. Well,
0: there is a moment in this movie where they're putting up posters to say, hey, we found a dog around this area. If it's yours, come claim it. And then the dog's just following behind Josh, pulling the posters down. So I assume that's meant to tell us that the dog can read. So maybe he can pick locks. He's a genius. Maybe that's why he's so good at all these sports, because he's just such a genius. He can analyze the angles and the strategies. (laughs) So the dog's with Josh's family for an extended period of time. We pass through the fall into Christmas and beyond. He becomes a Christmas gift. Exactly. At one point, the dog starts becoming like a little bit of a mascot slash halftime show for Josh's team.
1: Because he does this thing during one of the games.
0: Right. He chases the ball and causes a ruckus, and they ask him to be the mascot, and they do a halftime type thing.
1: Also, hijinks, Chris, happened in that scene. Hijinks.
0: Not funny hijinks, but hijinks nonetheless. So there's a local news segment on this dog that Snively sees, literally loses his lunch over. He just drops his food onto the floor when he sees it. Of course, Josh had put up these posters, so I assume they found the address somehow with the posters. He goes and shows up at their house, says, this is my dog, here are the papers, give him back.
1: We haven't seen this actor, by the way, Michael Jeter's character, Snively, for about an hour of the movie.
0: Yeah, he just disappears. He's
1: top-billed, and he's barely in this movie.
0: Next time we see the dog is when the dog is chained up in Snively's backyard, and Snively is on the phone with, I assume, some kind of agent... Because they want to give this dog now a beer commercial on the back of some local interest story. Now they're going to be the face of Budweiser or something, I guess.
1: Buddyweiser, maybe? Listen,
0: it works on so many levels, Ryan. But I'm just shocked that Budweiser is so tuned into the local news environment that they picked up on this dog like that. And not only that, he says on the phone they're already booked into some sort of tour. They've got a touring act booked already.
1: But as far as the Fram family, so Josh and his mom and the baby, this is a Disney trademark all over again with at least one dead parent because the dad was a test pilot who was killed while flying. Josh is depressed, misses his dad. They played basketball together. That's made very clear with a pitcher. And then the dog comes in and E.T. like saves him, basically, psychologically, and then helps him out on the basketball court. The one thing I actually was mildly surprised about, and I'll give it a little bit of credit, was the bully Larry because Larry was hard on the kid, kept calling him Water Boy all the time, which I got called by people too, but it was meant more good naturedly when I was the manager of the team. Yes, I got water, but I also was a stat keeper. <laughs> I felt like I was a pseudo assistant coach.
0: Listen, don't call me Water Boy, you jerk. I mean, yes, I just gave you water, but I'm more than just water.
1: I am a water teenager, excuse me. <laughs> yeah, sorry. Next year I get to play at least. Actually, I
0: think they're 12 years old in this movie, right? Isn't that their age? 12?
1: I guess about that age, yeah. So they
0: aren't quite water teenagers. He is literally a water boy. <laughs>
1: But I was a water teenager. I'm
0: a water man.
1: (laughs) Respect, man. But anyway, so Larry is bullying him through the whole film. And what I thought was going to happen would be the cliche of, so you know what, Josh? You made the winning shot, which of course he does. You're all right. But instead, he goes to the other team and doesn't really learn any lessons. And neither does his father. They're both still dicks. I thought that played out a little bit surprisingly. He did
0: exactly that. What do you mean?
1: Yeah, Larry went to the Warriors well, that's right. He does it at the very end yeah, as an does. opponent, but it wasn't earlier on. It wasn't like he said that. And then they connected. I didn't say that very well. It wasn't that kind of thing we've seen before. where fifty 15 minutes left in the movie. He finally gets it. And now they're a team and they're passing the ball with a plum. No, they're battling right towards the end until he respects him like a karate kid. where the only moment where Johnny respects Daniels at the very last moment. Well, that's the same in this. But I just thought with maybe 20 minutes left, it would be that Larry realizes, you know what? My dad's a bullying jerk. I don't like him too much. <laughs> He never really realizes that at all. Just that the coach earlier was a bullying jerk. There's more real stuff in this movie than I would have expected. It is true. More real moments.
0: I really was hoping we would meet Larry's mom, this guy's wife, because when we're playing that final game against the Warriors and we find out that Larry's now playing for the Warriors, no longer the Timberwolves or whoever it was. The Huskies? Timberwolves? What was their team name? The good guys.
1: The Timberwolves. The same name as the Minnesota basketball team, the professional Minnesota basketball team. The Timberwolves, yeah. But they're in Washington, that's where this movie's set, Fernfield, Washington.
0: Which is apparently in a perpetual state of fall, too, because the movie picks up in what is fall, we come to Christmas eventually, and then we pass Christmas, and there's still just leaves falling from the trees as if it's October. You know why? Why?
1: They shot this movie very quickly in BC, so just north of where it's set in Washington State, from late October to early December of 1996. Oh, there you go. So it literally was fall. And they didn't have a big budget, so they couldn't get around that stuff.
0: They're in a time warp. So during that final game against the Warriors, one of Josh's teammates says, oh, yeah, yeah, he plays for the Warriors now. His dad upped and moved his whole family to Spokane so he could play for them. Can you imagine being this guy's wife when he comes home from that one game where his son was benched? He goes, honey, we're moving to Spokane. And she's like, what? What happened? They benched Larry. Okay. Makes sense to me. Let's go. Good enough. I'm in. <laughs> I want what's best for my son. Yeah.
1: Especially my son is not this, but I'll take it anyway, because I love you and I am afraid of you.
0: You're right. There were moments in this movie, and I laughed to myself and actually made a note to myself about the bullying aspect of this movie, because Josh, and I don't know who this actor is that played Josh.
1: Kevin Zegers, he was in the sequel, which I guess you haven't seen another, have but he's also an MVP, Most Valuable Primate, <laughs> so another animal playing sports.
0: Which we will no doubt watch at some point.
1: Well, we must now, but also he's in Dawn of the Dead, the 2004 one. He's the one that ends up surviving. along. So it's Ving Rhames, Sarah Pauli, and then the two younger people. He's the man, or whatever, young man of the two younger ones. So he's Terry and Dawn of the Dead.
0: He's like a good enough looking kid. This looks very normal. But he walks onto the court and they just immediately look at the new kid. What about him? He's just an everyday kid.
1: With this cool red, white, and blue ball. How do you get ostracized when you have a red, white, and blue ball? You should be brought into the fold even more.
0: The one thing he doesn't have that all the other kids in this movie have is a sweet... 1990s bowl cut going on so is it that his hair is too normal he shows up to the basketball tryouts and you immediately know the coach is going to be the quasi not the main villain but he'll be a villain in this movie because the first thing he says is that we're winners and if we win on the court then we can win at life and you know anyone in any one of these movies that espouses winning as a virtue over things like teamwork is immediately going to be a villain So, he welcomes the 12-year-old boys to the most hallowed tradition of this school. It's a pretty sad school if your most impressive sports team is a 12-year-old boy's basketball team, but okay. Josh goes to this tryout, never leaves the bleachers. Elder kids are running drills and all that stuff, I assume. He sits in the bleachers, doesn't say a word, doesn't move, and then tries to quietly slink out the back. And the coach's reaction to that was, Boy, I like your style. You're my new manager. (laughs) He never says a single word to the coach. He just sits there silently and gapes at him. Be here Monday at 9 a.m. You're the manager now. All right.
1: I like basketball. You know why the coach did that? He read the screenplay. Ah, It's very meta. He was in on the story.
0: Why did he do that? I don't know. Fair enough.
1: <laughs> you love those screen rants, don't you?
0: I really love Pitch Meeting. He's so on the nose. And a movie like this, why would they do that thing? It's like, I don't know. Because the movie.
1: Well, the dog doing what it does in the house, making a big mess with the paint and the wallpaper. It's pointed out on the IMDb goof section that why would Mama leave the lids off the paint when she's not actually in the middle of painting? Because that's going to dry up and be useless anyway. <laughs> but of course, you need the hijinks, so that's why. But the other answer could be, I don't know.
0: It's funny you say that, because I have a specific note to myself, too, saying, why so many open cans of full paint when Mom is at work? Then, for some reason, four cans of paint set on the most rickety ladder in history, and the rest of them set on furniture that crumbles to dust, essentially, the second the dog comes into contact with it.
1: She also read the screenplay. That's how she knows.
0: Yeah, so apparently she just opened up all the cans of paint around the house, set them down in the most precarious place possible... Job done. Going to work. Have a nice day, guys.
1: I thought <laughs> she did the job fine. We've seen this kind of character, the mother usually. Sometimes it's the father who doesn't really have a whole lot of screen time except with the kid. But Wendy McKenna, I think she plays her fine. She's diet Susan Sarandon. She looks so much like Susan Sarandon. And she's all right. But I just kept on wondering where that baby is when she's watching a kid play ball. She's a bit of a negligent She's an absentee mom. mom. Yeah. <laughs> the dog isn't even watching the kid because the dog's at the games, or eventually is at the games.
0: When they had that first scene that you described where Josh sneaks the dog into the house, after luring him in with a trail of pudding cups, what does Josh's mom think of all the pudding disappearing? Does she just think her kid has a sugar problem going on or something?
1: Right, because she doesn't know at first that he's got this dog outside.
0: Right, he's just using the pudding to lure the dog in. Who probably is diabetic by the end of the movie too, right? Because all he's eating Mm -hmm. is pudding and canned pastas. When Josh first sneaks the dog home, gives her the bath and all that kind of fun stuff, the mom's probably rightly of the opinion i don't have time for this right now my husband just died she
1: literally does not have time for this yeah they just moved
0: we just moved i've got a couple kids i'm looking after it by myself you can hang on to the dog for now until we find the owner kind of thing And i thought that this movie was just going to make her quasi antagonist too because a lot of movies do right where the mom or the parents don't understand the kids desire to have the dog and never cave in until the very last minute of the movie when the dog turns into the hero and in this case to her credit She's a little hard to get at first, but sees that, hey, my kid really loves this dog. As a Christmas gift to him, I'm going to make the dog part of the family. Yeah,
1: and a couple weeks later, she's got the dog. For Well, she lets the dog stay. And then, yeah, for more than half the movie, I would say, she's in the dog's corner and she loves the dog, too. She's one of the ones who's against Snively's whole thing. It's not like she's saying, oh, God, this guy's going to take the dog back, which is what I want all along. No, she's saying, you shouldn't have this dog. You're a bad man. And she'd rather her kid have the dog. And she starts to love him at that point, too, I think, or has already loved him for a while. So what about the whole thrust of the movie, which I thought was going to be even dumber than it was, and it was pretty dumb. I also thought it was going to happen sooner than it did. I was hoping they wouldn't put the dog in when they hadn't for so long, because I figured the dog had to be one of the players, but I thought maybe I've misheard what this movie's about. But then the line, there ain't no rules as a dog can't play basketball. Okay, come on. Do we have to be that specific? I guess we do. And yes, I'm sighing as I was sighing during the movie, but at least Josh is the one who made the last shot. I thought for sure, once the dog was playing, that the dog would be the one to make the last shot.
0: I was thinking the same thing you were. Like, okay, we've made it 85, 90% of the way through this movie. The dog has only been a halftime mascot at this point. Maybe they'll leave it at that because that actually makes a little bit of sense. But no, they went the full way. And I'm thinking, okay, how in the holy heck are they going to justify this? To their credit... The new coach guy, Art, one of those character actors that I will never be able to name, but is in everything, it seems like.
1: Yeah, Bill Cobbs. He's a really good career. He's been around for 45 years, and he was in That Thing You Do a couple, well, the year before this, actually. He's really good as Del Wilkes in That Thing You Do. He's the guy that, the drummer character, worships Del Wilkes. Okay, anyway, he's in That Thing You Do. Bill Cobbs has been in a ton of things. Now. He's Art Cheney, and he's supposed to have been a former star. It'd be like if Patrick Ewing was the coach of this team.
0: I like the actor, and I like his character well enough, even though it's a little bit of a cliche to have the caretaker turn coach, but at least the caretaker that is the guardian angel, so to speak, of the main character. It's very Rudy-esque in that way, the former player that is going to pass on all the knowledge. But all we hear in this movie from art is teamwork, 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 and play with your heart, don't play to win, or whatever the messaging is. And at one or two points, we have people meet... Notably, the judge in court, right? Which I thought was a slightly funny scene. I'll give him credit for that. This confused. No. Old... No? <laughs> the confused old judge goes, All right, I hope this isn't another one of your shit. Why is there a dog in the courtroom?
1: Well, first he says, That's the pretty ugly kid. Come on. I guess that could be funny. It wasn't.
0: It was stupid, but it was kind of amusing. Well,
1: it becomes a courtroom movie for the last five or ten minutes. But this needs to be a courtroom movie. The movie's over when they win the basketball game with the dog, which was bad enough. <laughs> but if you're going to do that, then do it. And that's it. The movie's
0: over. It's true. It was entirely needless, but. The fact that the judge says, Hey, I saw you the game where you made the turnaround jumper to beat the Celtics. It was great, blah, blah, blah. But for some reason, Art is ashamed of his past. He denies being this basketball player to Josh at first. But we never find out why. He never explains to us exactly what was the big shameful thing. Like you said, he was apparently a star with the Knicks. Yes, okay, he says he played with some selfish players that only wanted to play for themselves. Him being one of those players... But okay, why all the shame about your career? Why are you denying that you were ever playing on the Knicks? And yet you still keep your Knicks memorabilia apparently open in the locker at work for some reason. I have
1: an answer to this question. He always dreamed of being a high school basketball coach in Fernfield, Washington. Don't we all? I sure do.
0: It wakes me up at night. I just wake up screaming, Fernfield!
1: (laughs) I'll settle for playing professional basketball for a while, but I really want to coach kids. And a dog.
0: I've had to settle for playing for the Blue Jays for the last 15 years, but finally, Ryan, finally last year, you gave me the invitation I've been longing for all these years to play for <laughs> Area 51 in the CBC Co-Ed Recreational Softball League, so I had to cut ties with the Blue Jays and play with the rec softball team.
1: I was impressed. It took a lot of wrangling, but, yeah, it was time for it to happen, and unfortunately, we're none of us are going to play this year at all, probably, <laughs> with old COVID going on.
0: No, sadly not. On the topic of basketball, though, because I know... What a fan you are of Hoosiers. One of our, I think, shared favorite characters in that movie is Ollie, right? I love Ollie, yeah. That bowl cut kid in this movie, the one that gets just totally ragged on by the coach for dropping a pass or turning the ball over, he is this movie's Ollie.
1: Could be, yeah. 100%. Although he doesn't prove a lot. He becomes an okay player later on, so. He
0: makes some great passes, Ryan. He comes to meet the ball and he doesn't drop it. That's an Ollie esque redemption story.
1: <laughs> yeah. Don't compare who's yours to this movie though. please. <laughs> <laughs> Let those comparisons end right now. What about the courtroom stuff at the end? We just mentioned a second ago. Yeah it was unnecessary but i would have loved i would have paid money in fact if buddy had ran off in a different direction during the here boy scene
0: <laughs> he just goes running towards some yes. kid in the back i ain't back going of to Steven snively i ain't
1: going to josh i'm getting out of here you're going to taunt me that way well he does go to snively yes he bites him or something but that should count i guess shouldn't it but i guess the judge realizes that he didn't want to go to him he was conned into it but That was just dumb.
0: It was a dumb scene, and you're right, totally needless. I feel like it was just something they put in because they figured that if they didn't, this movie would have a runtime of an hour and ten minutes, and they wanted to pad it out a little bit.
1: Also, it gets Snively out of the story, but then I asked this question. Won't Snively just come steal Buddy back in the middle of the night? It's not like he's going to jail. It's not like he left town or died. He's still mad they took his dog, so he's going to just probably come back and steal the dog anyway.
0: Probably. Speaking of Snively stealing the dog, when Josh went and stole the dog out of Snively's backyard, Snively already knows where this kid lives. Why is he going to steal the dog back? Snively would just go to his house. But of course, after the chase sequence, Josh leaves the dog on some island off the coast somewhere in a very Harry and the Hendersons kind of moment. Go! You're free! Don't you get it? I don't want you no more! I thought that was an effective scene. But isn't that exactly the line that John Lithgow yells to Harry in Harry and the Hendersons?
1: I don't remember. I haven't seen that movie in a long no, time. I think so. Maybe so. Well, that was 10 years before this, so maybe.
0: So Airbud is ripping off both Hoosiers and Harry and the Hendersons. But during that chase sequence when Josh is running towards the coast, Snidely's car is just literally falling to pieces. There's wiring chunks just falling out of the back. Because that's hilarious. But how is the car still operating? The motor's still running. It's still <laughs> driving itself. The steering wheel literally just falls off. And I'm pretty sure that's not how steering columns work. But with all these pieces just coming off the car, how is the engine still firing? How is it still moving? I didn't get it, Ryan. It made no sense. It was very akin to Fast and Furious, where the engine overheats when he uses nitrous, <laughs> and the result of that is bolts flying off of the bottom of the car.
1: But that's all. That's all. <laughs> the car does not explode or stop or anything no, else.
0: A plate falls off the floor of the car, and that's the result of the <laughs> nitrous usage.
1: Well, you can blame Charles Martin Smith for that. He directed this movie, he's directed eight movies in total. He's always been a pretty good actor, but not necessarily a great director. He's hilarious. I just watched it again recently in American Graffiti. He's the funniest thing in that movie. That's thought of as one of the great comedies in the 70s. I don't know if it's quite at that level, but his work is outstanding. If you've never seen American Graffiti, you should. He steals the whole film. But he also goes against that adage of don't work with kids or animals. He has both in this a lot of the time. Well, you never heard that adage? Never work with kids or animals. So hats off to make this movie work at all, considering his two stars are those things, a kid and an animal. But Buddy... The dog Buddy in this movie was Comet on Full House.
0: Oh, there you go.
1: And also, a little bit of sad news here, Buddy that dog got the cancer and died at age 10 the year after this in 1998. So if he appeared in Golden Receiver, which I guess he could have because the movie came out in 98, they would have shot it before that, then I guess he wasn't in any of the sequels unless it was a ghost dog.
0: (gasps) I'm surprised one of these sequels was not ghost dog. (laughs) a Field of Dreams-esque version of this movie where Buddy comes out. If there was a version of Field of Dreams where my dead golden retriever from my childhood came out and I said to that dog, want to have a catch? Inconsolable, Ryan. It would be over for me. (laughs) So, how did Buddy get back to the gym at the end of the movie, right? Because we talked about him being stranded. Josh leaves him on an island for his own good because he recognizes he can't take him home. Snively knows where they live, but he doesn't want to leave him in an abusive relationship with Snively. So, He leaves him on this island, and it's not close to shore. It's a bloody long way. How does this dog get back to shore and find his way to the gym for the final game? And when he does, why is Josh happy to see him? Why isn't he confused and or horrified that the dog has somehow found his way back?
1: Yeah, because he wanted the dog to leave for the dog's own good.
0: Yeah. Instead, he just puts the dog into the game.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Right. Well, then, of course, the coach does, too. The coach yeah, okays it, and the referee's okay, and all that other stuff. And yeah.
0: apparently, they kept the dog's jersey and doggy sneakers on
1: hand. That was relatively cute. Kind of dumb, but relatively cute. Yeah, that's right. They happened to bring those just in case, yeah. even though the dog should not be appearing anymore. Well, then again, I guess they would have had that stuff prepared, just stayed with the team, because they didn't know. I don't think that Joshua told them that he kicked him to the curb, so maybe that's why they still have the stuff. I guess. But I guess the dog just got through through movie magic, or you can blame the writers. Paul Tamasy and Aaron Mendelssohn. they wrote the sequel and Tamasy actually co-wrote The Fighter.
0: Also a movie we should do.
1: We should do. It's on the PVR right now, but you can't get over here to watch it because of COVID. One of these days we'll watch it that way through the PVR. But also the Airbud character is by Kevin DeSico and he has made a ton of money off this series because it's his character. And he trained the dog for these first two movies. I don't know for sure if Buddy was in part two. I should look it up. I don't really care. But he's definitely in the first one. And he trained the dog. And he would have gotten credit for all the sequels and spinoffs where the dog plays so many different sports. And also the Weinsteins had an executive producer credit on this movie. So this is a very interesting behind-the-scenes group with Charles Martin Smith, who's not really a director per se, but he's directed movies. And these writers who wrote a pretty standard screenplay we've seen a thousand times. It's Disney, though. That's not that surprising. Angels in the Outfield, Mighty Ducks, they were by Disney earlier in the same decade. Certainly not very original either. They've been down this road before Disney has...
0: had. It's a ridiculous movie. Doesn't really work for me, but it's not supposed to work for me. But you know what surprised me is exactly what you said. Some of the more dramatic elements of the movie... And maybe it's because I'm a sucker for animals and dogs in particular. So there were moments in the movie that I thought worked better than I expected them to. If they'd made this a drama, it might have been a pretty solid movie. Actually, I was thinking the same thing. If they got rid of the hijinks, padded out certain transitions, and made things a little bit more meaningful... It might have been a more effective movie just as a drama and maybe appeal to more audiences, but they made God knows how many sequels. So who can argue with the financial results?
1: Well, they were right, and we're wrong. I guess clearly. Well, the depiction of the sport is pretty lousy, I think. But they are kids, and Buddy is a dog. Can you score? Well, Wendy McKenna's lovely lady, but this is a Disney sports flick, so I contained myself all the way through. It was not hard to do that.
0: You somehow kept your hands to yourself while watching this movie. Congratulations, right? <laughs> Job done. So your score? I'd give it five. Yeah,
1: sure. Pratt Falls really hurt it a lot. The actors tried their best. I didn't care. I shouldn't say I didn't care. That's the wrong thing for it because the non-humor stuff was okay.
0: The boy and his dog element of this movie worked well. Everything else was eh, whatever. What went through my head when I was watching it is this is somehow more of a movie than Caddyshack is.
1: You're right. I think I might actually rather watch this again for that matter, come to think of it, than Caddyshack because you're right. Caddyshack is a bunch of scenes strung together. It doesn't hold up that much and we didn't laugh like we said before. All right, so that's air, bud. Let's get into our
0: top five and also our bottom five. I had a hard time picking a top five. I'm going to make a prediction here. I think two of our top five movies are going to be the same, and three of our bottom five movies are going to be the same. I had a lot of trouble with both for different reasons. These are not necessarily the five best and worst movies. These are the five movies that I liked the most and five movies that I dislike the most.
1: Okay, that's fair. Yeah. I try to incorporate the actual sports aspect, but also did I like the movie itself? And usually they're both of those things. So we post our first episode, The Mighty Ducks, on June 7th, 2018. So we've been doing this for nearly two years. We've covered eight baseball movies, seven basketball movies, including Airbud Today, six football movies, four hockey movies, and four boxing movies. Pretty balanced. We've even done three golf and three wrestling flicks in all that time. I'm going to give my number five... Then Chris will do his number five, then number four for me, number four for him, and so on.
0: Do you want to start with the worst or the best?
1: Let's start with the best. Okay. So my number five, and I always preface this when I do this kind of thing with Bev by saying, this might change if I do this again next week. But these are the ones that do it the most to me. The 40th podcast we ever did, not that long ago then, and it's Miracle. Really? I think it's the best hockey movie ever made. It's got vivid action, so well shot, and it makes a famous story that if you know anything about sports, you know this one as much as anything. And it makes it exciting right down to the whole, are they going to win? And they win. It's like Apollo 13, one of my favorite movies as well. Are they going to get back to her safely? You know they did. So I love Miracle, and it's, I think, one of the best pure sports movies we've covered. That's why I put in here. It isn't one of my top five favorites, but we incorporate the sports abilities of it. Kurt Russell's really good in the movie. The guys you play, the kids are good. The young men are good. That's why it's number five.
0: Okay, that's fair. These are, in five particular orders for me, the fifth to my first favorite.
1: So what's number five, then?
0: It's a tie, Ryan. You wimped out. So number five is A Split Decision with Dodgeball and Talladega Nights. They're fun ones. Yeah, they're two fun movies that I like a lot. They came out at a time that hit me right in the sweet spot of the target audience. And when we re them, I enjoyed them pretty much as much as I did the first time I saw them. And I think in both instances, if you're going to talk about depictions of the sport, dodgeball is a ridiculous sport to begin with. So, yes, it's ridiculous, but it's fun. And the driving in Talladega Nights, for a comedy, it's fine. And if nothing else, it gave us our song, Ryan. How could I not include it in the list? We belong. We belong. So, I had to include it for that reason, if nothing else. So, like I said, split decision.
1: My number four was our 14th podcast, and we already talked about it in this one. Can you guess? Hoosiers. It's Hoosiers. One of my favorite 80s movies, period. The basketball is antiquated because it's set in the 50s, and it is a bunch of white kids, and most of them aren't that talented, except for Jimmy. But it's, again, well shot, just like Miracle. It's exciting. Hackman is always good. He's really good in this film. We talked during that podcast that Jack Nicholson wanted the role, was supposed to get the role, but couldn't fit into his schedule. And I love Nicholson, but I think he would have been wrong for the role compared to Hackman. And even though you don't love Jimmy as much as I do, I think the Jimmy character and the Jimmy arc is really good. The guy says something like five words in the whole movie. I love Hoosiers. I've seen it so many times, I'll watch it again soon.
0: I'm not going to argue the pick. Now, you did say this is in no particular order, but I thought Hoosiers might be your second. No, I am
1: going 5, oh, four, 3, two, one, but I could change that if I did it again in a week from now.
0: I feel pretty similarly. I think my top three, to be honest with you, when we get to them, might be fairly locked in. If you were to ask me a few months from now, I liked Hoosiers well enough. I didn't have the same connection to it that you did.
1: Yeah, you didn't have the same kind of passion that I did. That's true. What's your number four?
0: Number four, Ryan, is a little predictable for anybody that knows me and my love of poker generally. It's got to be rounders.
1: Oh, I love that one. Big fan.
0: It might be the best poker movie ever made. Yeah, I think so. If there's one thing that bugs a pedant like me, how poker is depicted universally is just terrible. And in this movie, it's not perfect by any stretch. There's a lot of flaws in it. But it's so much fun. And there's so many memorable scenes and quotes in this movie.
1: Hanging around. Hanging around.
0: He has alligator blood.
1: Pay that man his money.
0: Right? And you're not a poker guy, but you remember those lines too, right? I've seen
1: that movie many, many times. It made my short list. It made my honorable mentions. I'll tell you that right now.
0: Even the Ed Norton character of Worm is such a sleazy, fun character.
1: And Damon's really solid in the main role. We like Fompka Jansen. Good cast, yeah. I've seen that as much as any of these movies I'm mentioning now, or any of the movies we've ever covered, probably. Other than maybe one of the ones I'm going to mention in a few minutes.
0: I said we we're going to match two of our top five, right? And we haven't yet.
1: Okay, my number three then, and we've talked about this movie so many times since we did it, which raises it up in my eyes a little bit. And I don't even own it, and I really should. It was our 33rd podcast, Friday Night Lights. Mm, it's a good one. It's the best portrayal of any sport we've covered. Yeah. Maybe not the best portrayal of any sport ever, but of any sport that you and I have covered in 50 episodes, I think so. Even more than Miracle, even more than Hoosiers, even more than the other two I'll mention or anything else I mentioned today. Booby Miles, that whole character, the angle of what happens next when this superstar athlete who doesn't know anything else, who didn't even go to school, really didn't go to class gets hurt and he's done what happens next. And also the angle of trying to play on something and blowing out immediately kind of reminds me of COVID right now, a bit of a tangent here, this whole thing about reopening the country, which maybe will have happened by the time we post this podcast, or they'll try to at least in a few days, at least in America. But then you do that too soon and it's like having a broken leg or a busted up knee like he does and instantly it folds. I like the movie anyway. Billy Bob Thornton is excellent. The other guys are good. The women in the movie, its not that many women, but they're fine. It's, again, really well shot by Peter Berg. But the Booby Miles thing is what just keeps on, in a good way, haunting me. I should just bought the damn movie because I probably will watch it again anytime I get a chance to.
0: Of all the movies that we've done for this podcast that I had never seen before, Friday Night Lights might have been my favorite. It was one of the last movies that I cut. That Booby Miles story arc, I think we did... Number 33, right around the time that the Raptors were in the midst of their playoff race to the championship. And you think about Kevin Durant in the finals being forced to come back before his Achilles was healed. And it was like Booby Miles all over again. He just blew it up. And we don't even know yet if the man will ever come back and be the same player he once was.
1: There you go. See?
0: My number three is what I suspect will be one of our matching two, Ryan, The Wrestler.
1: It is one of our matching two.
0: You've talked about Friday Night Lights, this movie we've referenced a bunch. We've referenced The Wrestler a bunch too because it's just a fantastic portrayal and it's so gut-wrenching and touching. And the performances of Marissa Tomei and Mickey Rourke are just astounding. It's not an uplifting movie, but it's a movie I love. I'm not a guy that goes back and re-watches movies very often, particularly dramas, but it's one of the movies I find myself going back to re-watch every two to three years. So I think that says more than anything.
1: Well, you're right. We mashed it up because it is my number two. It was our 34th podcast. So it was the week after we did or two weeks after we did Friday Night Lights. What a great run that was. I'll just add by saying that it's the single best performance that we've covered and maybe it'll be the best we've ever seen in Mickey Rourke. It really knows wrestling. It's yeah. up there with Friday Night Lights and Hoosiers and Miracle as being a great sports movie and really understanding it's sports entertainment, if you will, but it's sport. And there's so many highlights in it, like we talked about, so many great things right down to the end, but especially things like with his daughter, Anyway, we could go over that. We did it in the podcast. Listen to that. It's definitely one of our best movies. Your number three, my number two. What's your number two?
0: My number two, I would guess your number one, Field of Dreams.
1: Yes, you're right. You know me so well.
0: Want to have a catch? <laughs> it is one of the most touching movies that you'll ever see. Period, yeah. Particularly if you're a male child, I think. There's a special part in your heart. Even if it's not something you did, because I wasn't the guy that was out there having a catch with his dad every Sunday or anything, but it's almost like the Americana version of what you're conditioned to think is what you should be doing as a young boy growing up with his father is going out into the backyard and throwing the ball around, right? So that moment at the end when Ray Kinsella finally has an opportunity to have that catch with his dad, it's gut-wrenching almost, right? But it's like a joyful gut-wrench, I guess you could say.
1: It's brought us both the tears in the past. And while we covered it last year, it was last year, yeah. I don't think it got me this time, but it has so many other times before. And as we said in that podcast, if and when our fathers die, well, not if, when our fathers die, it'll be hard to watch the movie, but in probably a very good cleansing way.
0: I think so, yeah.
1: So that is my number one. It was our 21st podcast. It isn't the best sports movie, obviously. The other four I talked about are definitely better as a sports movie. There isn't that much baseball in it, but it's not really about baseball anyway. But it's just movie magic at its best. Kosser talks about it being this generation or his generation, sits a Wonderful Life. But Field of Dreams is one of the great examples of that, where it's just such a delicate balance. Phil Alden Robinson does a great job directing. Why he didn't have a great career, I don't know. One of Costner's best works. Of course, Bev and I covered Bull Durham, or you and I already would have, and that would certainly be in this top five for me, but that's why it's not in this list. But this movie just transcends. So it's my favorite of the ones that you and I have covered, but it's not the best sports movie. That would be, I guess I'm saying, either be The Wrestler or even Friday Night Lights.
0: You're right. It's not the best sports movie, but I think what this movie does to the nth degree, like it goes too far in trying to make baseball this hugely important thing for America and American history. But what it does very well is it conveys to a non-sports fan, I think, that watches the movie what sport can mean to people that enjoy it
1: Well, James Earl Jones' speech is all about that. It's about bigger things. That's exactly
0: what I'm thinking about. There was always baseball. It speaks to how sport and having that shared interest in a given team or a given sport or whatever is just a bonding thing between two people who are close. And it does it in such a beautifully eloquent way that even if the portrayal of the sport is, there's not a lot in it, as you said, but it does A better job than any other movie we've covered about trying to explain what that sport can mean to somebody
1: it didn't make by the way the top 10 sports and the we talked lots of times about the top 10 genres
0: mind blowing no
1: because no movie made two lists it made the fantasy category with it's wonderful life
0: I know what you mean no movie made two lists but I think this one could have
1: that's one that could have and should have yeah that's true okay you're number one all right
0: my number one and I am unapologetic about this Ryan Rocky 4 all right okay because my heart burns for this movie Ryan it's a burning heart just about to burst. Drago! <laughs> if he dies, he dies. You know I love the Rocky series in general and one day... As do I. We will have the epic debate about Rocky 2. I have no doubt. This movie is the pinnacle of Rocky ridiculousness, because we've gone past the quasi-realism of the initial Rocky movies, where he is now just a caricature of himself, and is now a symbolism for Western democracy versus communism, right down to the montage and the song that you hate so much, where they literally say, is it East versus West, or is it man versus man? But it's so much fun. Dolph Lundgren is such a beast of a man, even though he's not Russian, of course, but As a symbol of the Russian superiority of the Soviet bloc.
1: Before they hacked elections, yeah, their power back then of being great at sports.
0: Exactly. And the infamous training montage of Ivan Drago in his uber modern 1980s Soviet doping gym versus Rocky doing sit-ups in a barn and running to the top of a mountain growing an awesome beard. 80s kitsch at its best. And I love it so much. Somehow, for a movie as silly and ridiculous as this one, where there is a talking robot in the middle of it for some reason, for a movie that came out in 1985 or whatever, I still almost cry every time Apollo Creed dies in this. They somehow find a way to convey legitimate, real emotion in the midst of all the other inanity that is Rocky IV. So, my unapologetic number one.
1: We essentially did the direct sequel to this by doing Creed 2 as well. So you and I have covered Rocky 4 and Creed 2. And that is a little series on its own. But I'm a big fan of the Rocky series. It made both my worst of that year and it made my top 10 of that year. (laughs) That's how much I both like it and think it's ridiculous and stupid. But I like all the Rocky movies, they could easily have made as a group because you and I have covered two and Bev and I have covered two. We've done Rocky and Creed. So my five to recap are Miracle, Hoosiers, Friday Night Lights, The Wrestler, and Field of Dreams, and your five were a combination, of tie. Well, you do it? You tell me.
0: In reverse order, fifth to first is a tie between Dodgeball and Talladega Nights, Rounders, The Wrestler, Field of Dreams, and Rocky IV. And we hit the two movies that I thought we would both match on, Field of Dreams and The Wrestler. The movies that I really struggled with because I thought they were all really good and I liked them a lot, Lionheart, funnily enough, because it's just such a darn fun movie to watch, Friday Night Lights was the last cut from my list. Major League was up there, of course. Tin Cup. Jerry Maguire. He Got Game. Point Break. Color of Money. We've done some legitimately good and fun movies, and it's not easy to narrow it to five.
1: Yeah, my honorable mentions include Jerry Maguire, one of my favorite movies, period. Again, not much of a sports movie. White Man Can't Jump also I've seen many times. I was surprised how much the comedy held up. I laughed a lot watching that movie. And the basketball action is really good, and the chemistry between those two guys is outstanding. I'm a sucker for rounders, the karate kid, Major League, and all the Rocky movies. You've covered a few of those in your top five. And all three of the documentaries that you and I have covered were way above average, or at least above average, including Pumping Iron with Schwarzenegger. And there are other great sports documentaries we can still cover, a lot of them, including Hoop Dreams, maybe the most famous sports documentary of them all, or most acclaimed anyway. So we've been lucky when we've picked sports documentaries. They've been really good. Murderball and Beyond the Mat also, along with Pumping Iron. Okay, let's talk about our worst. I didn't really do a top five per se or bottom five. I'm just gonna ramble a few off, and you can ramble a few off. One of the first ones we covered, I suggested it because it was free on YouTube and the print was terrible, but Angels in the Outfield, <laughs> it was actually heartwarming at times. I've watched that ending on YouTube, just the ending part a little bit where they all do the angel flap. But that Angel Flap is still pretty dumb, although yeah. some good actors are in that. Joseph Gordon-Levitt as a kid, Matthew McConaughey's in that movie, of course, Danny Glover, Tony Danza. It's just not a good movie, but I actually feel bad saying it now that I'm putting it out loud. Why is this on my worst of? But I didn't like
0: it. It's on my worst of, too, Ryan, so don't feel bad about it. Okay. I had almost exactly the same thoughts as you. It's got a surprisingly good cast, but it's such a ridiculously stupid movie. But
1: a Disney movie, and it fits in with this Airbud thing in the same time frame, only three years after Angels in the Outfield was Airbud. Rudy is another one I didn't love that much. We talked about that just this year. Rudy's on your of worst just, five? Yes, it's just plain stupid. A lot of the time it's unbelievable. Ugh. Even though it's based on a true story. I still don't like Rudy.
0: When we talked about it, I told you that Rudy did not really live up to my boyhood recollections of how Rudy affected me back then. But It's a fine movie middle ground of I stuff. was so
1: exasperated during the stuff at the end like we talked about in that podcast. Yeah, you really were. That I had to put it in my worst of. I just okay. did not buy it. I bought more of the other stuff, and he's whining and whining and whining and won't shut up if I want to play for Notre Dame. (laughs)
0: But I want to play for Notre Dame.
1: So I want to do a lot of things I don't get to do. But the last 10 minutes, I just really did not
0: like it all. Yeah, that's fair.
1: How about a couple of your worst, then?
0: My toilet bowl awards.
1: Yeah, the toilet bowl. There we go.
0: I had a lot of trouble narrowing down the top five because I had too many candidates. I had a lot of trouble picking five movies that I felt were really worth razzing on. There were at least half the movies, probably, where we maybe had a disagreement about how much we liked them. Hoosiers being a good example, because you love it, and I thought it was okay, and I felt that way about a lot of movies. Slapshot, for instance, which I know is a beloved sport movie, but I think we were both meh. Longest Yard being another good example, we were meh. But there weren't many that I thought were just unenjoyable or just bad. Angels in the Outfield I included on my list as the fifth one. My fourth one was Semi-Pro.
1: Really? Yeah. I like Semi-Pro.
0: Will Ferrell movies are kind of my thing. I love old school. I love those kind of things. Talladega Nights was in my top five. Semi-Pro just didn't really do it for me. And there's a few cute moments in it, but I don't laugh a lot during that movie. And for a movie as ridiculous and slapsticky as that one is, if you're not laughing, there's not a lot to it for you.
1: But there's still one of the greatest lines in movie history in that movie. What's that? They're doing just an awful job of supporting his spine. <laughs> okay, that's fine. Or stabilizing his spine. Maybe that's it, stabilizing. I ruined the line. Oh, that line kills me. and I didn't even do it right.
0: <laughs> all right, yeah. It does have its moments, but it doesn't play for me. I don't know why.
1: So that's two of your five and two of my five. I'll do a couple more here. Well, you just said a few of them. I just lumped them all together. I cheated a little bit like you did. The 70s comedies, even though one of them is 1980. Longest Yard, Slapshot, Caddyshack. They've all aged badly. They aren't funny. They're kind of offensive. And I know people love them, but they're not for me. I'll never see any of them again.
0: I didn't lump Slapshot and Longest Yard in with Caddyshack because I felt like both Longest Yard and Slapshot had redeeming qualities, even if we didn't feel they were particularly funny. But my next one on my list was Caddyshack. In fact, it was my number three because it doesn't hold up. There's one or two funny lines that I still laugh at, mostly from Bill Murray. The Dalai Lama. Big hitter. Long. I've got eternal enlightenment coming on my deathbed, so I got that going for me. But beyond that, it hasn't aged well. It's not funny, and it's not even really a movie when you look at it as a cobbled-together sequence of scenes. And it offends you as a golfer. That's true. And when you see movies, like I said when I was talking about my fringy cuts from my top five, Happy Gilmore and Tin Cup were up there. I am a golfer, and I love the game. And Happy Gilmore is a ridiculous movie that still manages to portray the sport reasonably well and Holds together 20 years later or thereabouts, anyway. I'll give you my next one while I'm on the topic, right? The last movie we did, Cobb. i gonna put it down here, are you? Yeah, it's so recent, and I was so disappointed when I re watched it for our podcast that there was next to no baseball in the movie. And as good as Tommy Lee Jones's performance was, his supporting, I can't remember his name, Wall Robert Wool. Wool, right? W U H L Wool. He cannot hold as a secondary lead in this movie. Yeah, not a leading man. And it's so long, and I don't know why it exists as a movie when you don't actually really get any of Ty Cobb's career. All you get is him as an aging man trying to protect his legacy. I don't know. I was just so disappointed in the content of the movie that it had to go on my top five.
1: Okay. I'm going to lump two movies again together because I didn't think this is a bottom five, per se, just the movies that stood out the most to me. And it's being disappointed by movies I thought were probably thumb upable, and that would be The Natural and Eight Men Out
0: that's fair they haven't
1: aged all that well either the Eight Men Out's got some of that really terrible dialogue John Cusack in your third sacker <laughs> stance I hate that it seems such a fake sounding line The Natural wasn't as good as I remembered it being I hadn't seen the whole movie in a long time highlight moments is like the way Bev feels about swing time she can watch the dance sequences and think like, those are great but she hates the movie I can watch the sequence at the end of The Natural or the part where he rips the cover off the ball on YouTube and think wow that's outstanding with the whole movie Redford is not believable as an aging baseball player when he was already his mid to late 40s. It wasn't like it's one of the worst. It's just disappointment. So that, along with The Longest Yard, Slapshot, Caddyshack, and then Eight Men Out. So those five movies, is more about being disappointed by them.
0: So you took the fatherly approach to it. I'm not angry. I'm just disappointed.
1: You hit the nail on the head there. I may not be a dad, but I am 46, so I certainly could be.
0: When you cited those two movies in particular, Eight Men Out and The Natural... They were in consideration for my bottom five for exactly what you just said. I was mostly just disappointed in them. By design, most of the movies we've chosen to talk about have some redeeming qualities, right? Because we usually don't want to talk about a total stinker. Not
1: the last one.
0: Okay, well, here's where I think we're going to be in perfect sync, Ryan. My number one on my bottom five, Ready to Rumble. Ready
1: to Rumble. Yeah.
0: No redeeming qualities.
1: So unfunny and knows nothing of wrestling. It's the polar opposite of The Wrestler as well.
0: Yeah, exactly. I have to fall on that grenade. It was my suggestion, I know. I don't know why I thought it would be a good idea. Maybe it was that I thought it would be a stupid movie to riff on and talk about. But it was one of those magical movies that was so unfunny and at points so offensive that it wasn't even that much fun to riff on. So, Mia culpa, my bad.
1: Well, and at the end when you see Oliver Platt, The King, something like that. I forget his character's name. He's The King. He, or maybe it's Diamond Dallas Page, somebody goes through stacks of tables They should be dead. Rush was things like that, but not the way it's portrayed in that movie. Or maybe he falls from many stories and then goes through a stack of tables. Yeah. Insane, dumb. It's not good. So I'm glad we agree on that. That's the only real truly bad one in my worst of. I don't think even Rudy's bad it's just i don't like it that much angels now feel like i said before i feel like i'm kicking a
0: wounded bird right now (laughs) and including that one you're kicking a wounded angel ryan stop it (laughs) wounded angel yes what really brought ready to rumble into the spotlight for me we already knew it was a terrible movie but when we did beyond the mat and we saw what mick foley went through in some of those notable stunts that he did could have died Yeah, he should have died, probably. In Ready to Rumble, they take it to the nth degree, right? I think you're right. I think he goes through two or three levels that way. When you understand what Mick Foley went through, it just puts a really harsh light on trying to poke fun at that kind of bodily sacrifice, I guess. Yeah, Ready to Rumble is basically offensive, if you think about it, to
1: people that like wrestling.
0: Of the 50 movies we've done in this podcast, only one stood out to both of us, frankly, as a flat-out bad movie that I think if anyone were to come up to us in the street and say, is there a movie I should not watch? I think Ready to Rumble is the one that we would both immediately jump to. When we choose movies to talk about, we're either doing it because we want to watch a movie that we think portrays a sport well, is going to be funny, is going to be fun to riff on. There aren't that many that are that bad, you're right. There's a lot that fit for me personally into that murky middle of, yeah, that was pretty good.
1: Okay, well that is our favorites and our least favorites, and also Airbud. all wrapped up at the end of April here. This is April the 30th, we post this podcast. We record it two weeks before, though. Who knows where the world will be in two weeks, but we know what we're going to be doing in two weeks. We'll be safely ensconced in May by then, and we'll no doubt still be safely ensconced in our homes. Also ensconced in Velvet, Seinfeld reference. So, how about another uplifting Disney sports flick, just like this one was? Airbud, let's do a movie I haven't seen in a very long time, probably 18 or 19 years. Remember the Titans.
0: Now, on a scale of zero to Airbud, where do you think Remember the Titans is going to fall in terms of number of animals playing an active role in the team's success? <laughs> I'm going to go with none. Oh, damn.
1: But it's our second Denzel sports movie in about six months or something like that because he was in the hurricane. And I wouldn't have thought, well, I knew he was in the hurricane. Less but than that, man. if you'd said to me, which actor you're going to cover the most, or maybe not the most, but you're going to cover multiple times, I wouldn't have said Denzel Washington because I forgot he's a coach in this movie.
0: You're forgetting we just very recently talked about He Got Game. My God, we've done three of his movies then after we do this one. He's going to join the likes of Kevin Costner on the triumvirate of Sportos. And Woody Harrelson. Woody Harrelson, yeah, is the other, I think, right? They're the only two that we've done three movies.
1: Oh, I think that's true. There's probably some supporting actors, or somebody has been in movies who aren't the focus, maybe, but of the stars or even the secondary leads, that kind of thing. Yeah, I think it's the three of them, or will be after we do this next one.
0: Like I said, this is a movie I don't think I've ever seen in its entirety straight through. Only bits and pieces as it comes on TV, so... I'll be interested to see if it'll join the pantheon of movies like Friday Night Lights yeah. and the football I run. don't think so. No? <laughs> but it's going to
1: feel new to both of us because we haven't seen it in a very long time. All right, fair enough. Okay, so let's end this long podcast. We're on Twitter. He is at Scoring movies. I am at MovieFiend51. We're on Stitcher and Spotify and Apple Podcasts under Top of Project, where you can find all the episodes that Chris and I have done or that Bev and I have done. A lot of things to choose from on this channel.
0: And hopefully by the time we get to episode 100, Ryan, we'll be able to record... In the same room again.
1: <laughs> I think sooner than that. Maybe by episode 55, maybe sooner. <laughs> who knows? Fingers crossed. All right, so... Rick <laughs> dude. <laughs> <laughs> I know that you will. <laughs> no, that's not good. Take it easy, everybody. I know that you will. You play a lot of sports. You're really talented.